You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Take the North podcast. David Haw, Dan Wiederer here. You can get us on your free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. And now it is our pleasure to bring in the Odyssey NFL insider, Brian Baldinger. Baldy and his in-the-huddle co-host, Jason LaConfora, hosting the Odyssey NFL Draft Show Thursday, April 27th, 6 p.m. Central, through the entirety of the first round. Looking forward to joining you guys on that show. It'll be streaming live on the Odyssey app and the Odyssey Sports YouTube page. Leading up to the draft, check out Baldy's prospect breakdowns by listening to In the Huddle wherever you get your podcast. Baldy, how are you doing today? I'm fantastic. You know, um, I'm here in Fort Lauderdale. I'm looking at a beautiful scene outside my window here. And um, I can't think of anything better to do, honestly. <laughs> well, maybe happy hour. But beside that, uh, talk NFL draft. I'm, I'm, I'm plugged in. I'm ready to go. Well, you know, the Bears here in Chicago have moved down from the first to the ninth pick. And that has created uh, a lot of great, inf- great topics. Is it all offseason season? The Bears have been relevant in free agency. They have been relevant in this conversation before this draft. Let's just start there with with Dan and I, you know, obviously talking all the time about what they should do, what they shouldn't do. If you're Ryan Poles and you have moved down from one to nine, what is your mentality? You know this team as well as anybody, Baldy, from following it. You know they're coming off a 14-loss season. What is your mindset going into this draft if you're Ryan Poles? You know, it's first of all, I mean – what Ryan did was was brilliant, but it, it, it took a perfect year. You know, they didn't want to be the number one pick, but they had the number one pick, and they had a team that wanted to be the number one pick, Carolina. And so I, I said way before the, the thing happened, the best team to trade with was Carolina because you're going to get the biggest bounty, and they did. Uh, DJ Moore is a great player, extra picks, et cetera. Okay, so, like, I just feel like you have to keep – building around Justin. Like, I believe in Justin Fields. I know a lot of people. I hear all this stuff. I believe in him. I believe him as a player and as a person. So I got to keep building around him. All right? And what does that mean? Does that mean, like, just more weapons, better offensive line? I think it does. You know, And then, but they have enough artillery to start addressing the defense. They did it last year, obviously, with the two defensive backs. Um, they played a prominent role. But, you know, they've got to get better. Um, you know, they, they paid a lot for linebackers. They got to get better up front, you know, defensively. Everybody knows that. And so you can't have Jaquan Brisker as your leading sacker uh, this year. So, like, to me, it's build around Justin Fields and improve your defensive line. Those would be the two priorities. And I think you can do both those things in this draft. Baldy, I think there's a a consensus here in Chicago that – Building around Justin Fields and building your offensive line are two things that have to happen in the next week. It seems to be a, a four-player discussion at offensive tackle in that in that range that'll be available to the Bears at nine. You've got Skaronski, you've got Paris Johnson, you've got uh, Broderick Jones, and you've got Darnell Wright. Of that quartet, 
Who do you like the most? Who's the guy that, that, that jumps off the video to you? Darnell. Darnell Wright does. Yeah, he's a natural right tackle. He's a mauler. He started 42 games at Tennessee. Just go back and watch any of these games. Watch him against Trayvon Walker. Watch him this year at left tackle. Watch him at right tackle this year against Will Anderson. Watch him against the elite players in college football. Watch him just go eliminate and, you know, and shut him out. And then you just watch his how he moves bodies. His power is real. His base is good. Um, you know, everybody needs to be coaching his business. It's a different game at the NFL than it is in college football. But I think there's an awful lot to like from his size to his movement, to his power, to his mentality, to his experience. Um, you know, I just feel like wherever he goes, just plug him and play him at right tackle. Like, I think that's his natural spot. Is that a clear-cut win for you, or is, is one of those other guys really close with him? I mean, look, I think Skaronsky is a guard. Like, he just moves like a guard to me, you know? Like, he just he, – he doesn't dance on the edge like some of these tackles do. But he probably could play tackle. They, they said Rashawn Slater would probably be a better guard. Well, he was as good a tackle as he was in football that, that freshman year or the rookie year. Um, you know, we've, we've heard the debate over and over, and, you know, uh, Zach Martin was a tackle and Quentin Nelson was a tackle and Brandon Sheriff was a tackle and they all became all pro guards. And I think that's probably what Skaronsky can be. I think he can be a pro bowl guard. You know, Baldy, we have this conversation because obviously Peter Skaronsky, local guy, Maine South High School, Northwestern University. Yeah. We talked to Pat Fitzgerald on the Mullen Haw show and he's talked about how he would be this, this piece that you just wouldn't have to doubt and he was easy to coach. Let me ask you this, though. You, two, two things come to mind when you talk about Skaronsky. Number one, because left tackle is a value position and you have, you're one of several people who have talked about him potentially as a guard, do you stay away from a guy at number nine because of you know, maybe he will be moved inside and that wouldn't be necessarily worth that spot because it's not necessarily considered a value position? And then explain to me, myth versus reality about this short arm discussion as somebody who played, you know, in the league, what is it about this measurements and the short arms? Because does it matter and why? Well, first of all, I mean, you know, Brandon Sheriff, I think was the fifth pick in the draft and Quentin Nelson was the sixth pick, you know, and Zach Martin was, you know, I think in the top 10 with Dallas, like you take great players where you could get them, you know, whether it's a guard or a tackle. I mean, I don't, I believe that these guys are difference makers, you know, and I think Skaronsky, I mean, he, he was coaching Rayshon Slater when he sat out of COVID in 2020, he was, you know, coaching him up on the sideline. So like there's, and, and he's being trained really well in Dallas by Duke Manningweather. So that's, that's that. And then, you know, the arm thing is it's, it's not a myth. Like it's real. You know, you, you look at, you know, Shaq Leonard playing middle linebacker for the Indianapolis Colts and look at his arm length. And look at how many balls he gets his hands on, whether it's tip balls, whether it's, you know, forcing fumbles, whether it's sacks. Arm length is important for any position, defensive offense. But on the offensive line, like, you know, if you can get your hands on guys before they get their hands on you, like it's just going to be easier to win. You know, it's just going to be easier to control your man. Um, not that, you know, the, the hand thing is changing a lot. It used to be, you know, back when, you know, the Bears were winning the Super Bowls. Like, you didn't care what Hilgenberg's arms length were. Like, they were just the, the toughest, you know, toughest group on the block. 
Um, but it, it, it's like we used to just punch two handed punch, all that. That's all changed. Now you got guide hands, you got kill hands. Like it's being taught differently in different places. But I still think the length is important. It just is like, especially if you're going up against guys like Tyree Wilson now coming out of the draft, you know, with 36 inch arms and he's stabbing you. And you see it, you see it sometimes with Skaronsky. Like he's going up against long guys and he can't physically get his hands on guys because his arm just isn't long enough. Now he still can drop an anchor. He's still a good enough athlete. He still has good enough feet. His feet are elite that he can still dance and stay in front of you and then eventually get a, a claw on you. But it does make it a lot easier if you got, you know, those 34 inch arms or longer where you can be the one that is stabbing first. So I got a two-part question for you, because obviously in Chicago, we'll be waiting until after 8 o'clock next Thursday night at local time to see who the Bears take. But the draft starts at number one, and the Carolina Panthers have the pick that once belonged to the Bears. If you were Carolina and you were going through this quarterback uh, you know, puzzle that you're putting together, who is it? Who, who, who's the guy for you at number one and why? Like, I've never changed my view of Bryce Young. Like, I, I've been saying – like, I know the knock. Everybody knows the knock. He's 5'10", he's 204 pounds. Okay. It's, he's, he's way short on the, the scale of quarterbacks um, from his frame to his length to – but I think it works to his, actually his advantage to be in his size because he's so sudden. Um, he's like that boxer in the middle of the ring that can just parry a punch, like, without moving very far. Like just inches, but he's so sudden. He's got a GPS thing in his head. He doesn't get balls batted down at the line of scrimmage, and he can really throw it from any angle, which we've all seen is really important these days with the rushes and the the, the way that teams are attacking quarterbacks right now and what you have to be able to do. Like I feel like he has all that ability to be able to make pinpoint passes from any platform and to be able to just – Use just sudden quickness to escape, um, you know, the rush from the backside or a free hitter coming from the front side. My second part of that question is, is because the Bears did once own that number one pick, that presented an obligation for them to at least do the homework on this quarterback class. You obviously expressed your belief in, in Justin. If you were Ryan and you were kind of sounding this out with the team you had around you, how do you sort of weigh that number one quarterback in the class, Bryce Young, versus what you have in-house with Justin Fields? And, and what is it that compels you to stay on the path with Justin? Well, I saw improvement last year. I mean, I, look, yeah, I don't know what they were doing when they threw him in there against Cleveland, you know, to start his career, like that can ruin a guy, what they did to him that day. Like it was, it was hard. It was hard for all of us to watch that debut. He wasn't ready. And you don't do that against miles Garrett and Jadevian clown. You just don't do that stuff. Anyways, they did it. Okay. He took his licks. All right. I saw Troy Aikman get sacked a ridiculous amount of time in 89. I saw when he came to Philadelphia, I mean, Reggie white company just abused him. But, you know, that was it. Now, he took his licks, and then he just got better. So I saw Justin get better last year. I mean, there was a time early in the year, even San Francisco in that monsoon that they played in, like they literally were ready to punt on third down early last year. Like it would be third and 13. They weren't throwing it. They're running it. They're like, we're going to protect this kid. I, I like what they did. And then by midseason, he's making these splash plays. He's got Detroit on the ropes. He's got Miami on the ropes. Like he's making these plays, and they're all chasing him. And, you know, and, and then he's making some of these throws against Pittsburgh, you know, and you just go, he's coming. He's, he's coming along. 
And I just feel like this is the year that he can make a leap, like a real leap. Like it's just the old fashioned progression. It's not Mahomes and Joe Burrow just hit it, you know, and, and ran with it. He, he needed time. And I felt like the way they brought him on, I feel like he's ready to explode and become like a top 10 level quarterback this year by trusting the protection, better players around him. I like a lot of the things they did offensively to accent him last year. So for all those reasons. Brian, along those lines, there's a school of thought in Chicago, and I think it qualifies under the fantasy football school of thought. But yeah. to surround Justin Fields with the weaponry that might be, you know, make your, your offense a lot more dynamic, Bijan Robinson is a guy that you look at, if you're talking about the surest things in the first round, you've got Will Anderson, then you may be going to Bijan Robinson and then everybody else. I don't know if you agree with that, but how tempting might that be if you are Ryan Poles with holes everywhere, but you do have the intrigue of a guy in Bijan Robinson that might be a generational talent? I'm with you. I'm with you. Look, I remember uh, on the opening day of free agency working with LaDainian Tomlinson for the network. And LT said, look, if they want to franchise tag Saquon, why don't the Bears just go sign him? Like put Saquon behind Justin Fields, upgrade the offensive line, and have a feared rushing attack between those two. And so here you are with Bijan, a younger version of Saquon, maybe a better version, who knows? But I'm with you. Like, I feel like the Eagles shouldn't pass on Bijan at 10, go draft a guard at the 30th pick, Put, keep the best offense line of football, help out your $51 million quarterback, keep the offense elite, and just you know keep marching and make sure you keep putting up the points that they put up last year. But you could take that same philosophy with the Bears, and I don't think you're wrong. I don't think you're wrong to do that. And I'm not necessarily the guy that wants to take running backs in the first round because of the injury history, but I might be willing to do it right now just because I know how much it could help Everybody in Chicago, especially Justin Fields right now. Just as an extension of that, I haven't found anyone in the league that sets Bijan Robinson's floor at anything lower than highly productive standout running back, right? Safe pick, certainly productive. When you watch him, what are the things that kind of give you that adrenaline rush? Well, he does have like, you know, one step suddenness. Like I was just watching him against Iowa State and he made this cut and he just saw it so fast. And then he made another cut after the cut to make two defenders miss in the open field. And you go, okay, that's what we saw Brees Hall do last year, you know, but this is probably bigger, stronger, faster than Brees. Okay. And Brees was on his way to being the rookie of the year before he tore his ACL. And that's why teams are hesitant to take running backs. Brees probably wins the rookie of the year last year, rookie offensive player of the year, if he doesn't tear that ACL. So that's what you see. Now, look, I could also say, Go watch him against TCU in Alabama. And on 33 carries, he gained 86 yards. And a bunch of those carries, he didn't gain a yard. And you go, okay, look pedestrian. All right, go get me Jameer Gibbs. Go get me, you know, Israel Abanaconda. Go get me another guy. Like, I don't want need to spend. So you can, you can make the case if you just want to say, okay, two best teams he played against last year, he wasn't elite. But everybody else, like, he ran through them and around them. So – Brian, when you talk about Jalen Carter, he visited Detroit on Thursday, and Brad Holmes said after that visit that, yeah, he may have changed his thinking about Jalen Carter based on some of the things that he said, based on how the visit went. I don't frankly know 
what else a general manager might say publicly except for something positive like that. So you take that into context and consideration. But I wonder if you're the Lions at six, the Seahawks at five, maybe the Falcons. I think that he might be off the board by the time the Bears draft at nine. And I do also believe this and curious what you think. The risk reward calculus is different for every team in the draft based on their depth chart, based on their recent history. Where would you be with Jalen Carter if you're Ryan Poles as you approach this draft on Thursday? Well, look, I mean, if he gets past Seattle and Detroit, teams of great need for a player of his talent, something's not right. It's just not right. Because if you just look at him talent-wise and you go, okay, who's the recent comps? Like, he's bigger, stronger, faster than Quentin Williams. Quentin Williams was a dominant defensive tackle for the Jets last year. He's a bigger, more athletic version of Jeffrey Simmons, who Tennessee just gave $100 million to. You know, and now – and Simmons has been an awesome player. And that front in Tennessee has been elite for the last four years. Now it kind of crumbled last year with injuries. Harold Landry went down, Bud Dupree, like, okay, crumbled. But there was a four-year window there where Simmons was the lead dog of that group. So that's what you're looking at. You're looking at that type of talent. I mean, those are two recent players that, you know, Quinnen's going to get paid $100 million to uh, when, when his time comes up. And that's what Jalen Carter can be. But if he gets past Seattle and Detroit, and, and even the Raiders, who desperately need an interior force, I, you know, that's how I want to build my defense. I want an animal on the inside. And, you know, Tennessee and the Jets – along with Kansas City. I mean, you go through Javon Hargrave and Philadelphia, now San Francisco. Like, everybody's looking for that animal inside that could push the pocket, make things better for the edge, shut down the run. Like, that's what he should be. But if he's dropping, teams aren't comfortable with whether it's off the field or just the, you know, whatever burns inside of him. You know, hopefully it burns hot. But if it doesn't, these teams are pretty adroit at figuring that out. What would be the biggest things that would impact your comfort level, knowing what the tape looks like? What would be the biggest things that would make you a little bit hesitant or uncomfortable? Well, look, I, I mean, it's, Georgia is a different – like I, w- I was on the phone with the general manager today, and I was just saying, like, look, Kirby Smart is smarter than all of us put together, obviously. Like, you know, what he's doing in college football is he's revolutionizing it. But it's also frustrating to evaluate players in that scheme. Because, you know, one play, Nolan Smith, he's, you know, he's he's basically contained rushing. They got some crazy blitz coming, and it's getting home. But Jalen Carter's not rushing. He's, like, dropping. He's doing something crazy. <laughs> you just go, I just want to see these guys rush. You know, let me just go watch them. You know, I, I, you know every once in a while I'll see Jalen Carter just, you know, set and just club somebody into the middle next week. And you go, that's what I want to see, you know. but But then you see – all right, maybe because they've got, you know, first-round picks everywhere these last two seasons, maybe don't feel like you got to go make that play on the other side of the field the way you want to go see a guy make a play on the other side of the field, you know. And so that would be – that it's, it's frustrating to study guys from Georgia, and then sometimes the, the effort that you want to see, you don't see, and that would be a concern. Brian, the last one from me. So I think there's a consensus that Will Anderson from Alabama would be the best edge rusher available. If you agree with that, who's the second best edge rusher available? A guy that might still have a very productive NFL career, be a great draft pick for whoever gets him, but isn't quite Will Anderson. Well, look, Will Anderson, I mean, he's got to think about this now. Not many guys do this, but he goes to Tuscaloosa. Day one, he starts. And he literally starts 41 straight games. 
and he almost never comes off the field. Like you just don't see that, you know. But he did that in the SEC. Now, you know, Adrian Peterson did that at Oklahoma. Like, there's just some guys that come in and they dominate day one at age 18. Like, Will did that. So that's why he's my number one guy. But if you looked at, like, Nolan Smith, for example, like, like 439 is 439. But, you know, uh, you know his, his, his comps, okay, with all these measurables, believe it or not, is Saquon Barkley. Like, his short shuttle, his, you know, vertical leap. Like his power is Saquon at defensive end and 238, you know, he benches over 400 pounds. He cleans almost four. Like he's a rocked up, twitched up, violent player. You watch him on kickoff return, like kickoff return, drill somebody into the bench (laughs) and the next play, take the running back for a four yard loss. Like he's, if he's used, I I don't want to compare anybody to Micah Parsons. He's just a different animal in this business. But, like, you see some of that in what he can do. And you just go, let me get my hands on this guy. Let me get my hands on him. Let me figure out the defense. Let's Like, because he could be Hassan Reddick, who had 19 sacks last year. You know, that's probably his best comp, you know, a defensive end outside linebacker right now. We'll cut you loose after this one. I'm going to ask you a question that Ryan Pace used to always ask his scouts early in the pre-draft process, and it just kind of gets to your heart of when you're watching these guys. Who is your favorite player in this draft? It could be somebody that's going to be picked in the top 10, or it could be somebody that's a, a day three guy in round four that just when you turn on the film, there's something about it that, that, that makes you sit up a little straighter. Are you guys in Chicago right now? Yes. So how far is Chicago to Champaign? About two hours. Two hours, it, yeah. Two hours? I've made the trip before. It's two hours. I'd go two hours south to watch Devin Witherspoon. Okay. Like he's that that guy plays defensively, he just plays different than everybody else in this whole draft. Like I haven't seen a corner hit like that. I haven't seen a corner, I haven't seen a corner read routes the way he read routes. Like he's just a different type of player, man. Like he's he just looks special to me the way he plays the game. That's a great one, and that gives us a lot to think about in terms of what exactly the Bears would do if he's still on the board at number nine because of what you said. And anybody that has watched the Illini, look, and, you know, look, and yeah. to your point here, Dave, like, honestly, I, I understand Jalen Johnson and Kyler Gordon, and, you know, you, you could say we're pretty set. But, man, if I could get <laughs> Devin Witherspoon, I'd figure it all out. Like, whoever goes inside goes inside, but I maybe it's Gordon. But I, I would – if I could get my hands on that guy – like, it would be a real conversation. <laughs> Baldy, this has been great. I really appreciate your insight yeah. and your time. We look forward to talking to you down the road and seeing how this all shakes out. My pleasure, guys. Anytime, man. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Brian Baldinger, the Odyssey NFL insider, joining us here on the Take the North podcast. And a reminder to everyone out there that Baldy and his In the Huddle co-host, Jason LaConfora, hosting the Odyssey NFL Draft Show Thursday, April 27th, 6 p.m. Central, through the entirety of the first round. It'll be streaming live on the Odyssey app and Odyssey Sports YouTube page. Leading up to the draft, check out Baldy's prospect breakdowns by listening to In the Huddle wherever you get your podcasts. And I will join them on draft night after they begin the 6 p.m. Central show. I'll join them after the Bears pick to give my insight, reaction, and analysis. Uh, Whatever time that may be, I'll be joining the in the huddle, co-host Jason Lockenfora and Brian Baldinger.